Matt is back. I'm back, baby. Uh. <laughs> I missed you last week. I know. I missed you too. I was <laughs> super busy, but like, it, it's weird to not record on Tuesday. Like, I see the I see the uh, calendar reminder and just think, oh, I'm missing recording. Oh. <laughs> wonder what Mark's doing. And I totally forgot that you were in New York. So I sat at my desk, set everything up and waited and waited. And then, wait, this is not normal. Matt's never late. Where's this fucking guy? Yeah. I text you. Are we recording? And then you answered, yeah. I'm drunk. Yeah. Yes. I couldn't really make out what you were saying, but yeah, dude, it was nuts. New York was insane. Really? So I was there for NFT NYC and it was, it was nuts. It was such a fun time. Um, so I was there. So the, my client who I contract for, um, brought me into town for an offsite. So me and uh, all, a bunch of other contractors and employees got together to talk through a roadmap to get together, to talk about company values, a lot of different things. And one of which was, so the company that I work for is called Swoops. And uh, we were co-hosting a, uh, an event with other sports-related NFT projects. And it was insane. It, it, was at a, uh, it was at a club, or I guess it's a club, like a club lounge thing. And uh, Ja Rule performed. Like, it was, it was totally Jeez. crazy. It was insane. Um, Jarl was super interesting. Like he was just like smoking tons of weed the whole time. Um, <laughs> he performed like tons of songs that everybody knew. Like the whole crowd was just singing along the entire time. I don't know if he has any new music, but he knew what the crowd wanted and he gave it to them. That's for sure. Um, so he's invested in several NFT projects. And so he, and he's big in the crypto space apparently. So he, at one point he was, he was like chanting on stage to like buy the dip and, <laughs> And like the crowd is just like exploding because it's just, it's all crypto fans and people in crypto. Um, and then he, at one point we were chanting like, we are going to make it, we are going to make it. And you're like, this is just delicious. Uh, this is so good. But it was, it was just a great time. Like I met tons of people. I met like people in the NFT space, like um, not fans, but like, you know, potential investors, you know, everyday people who are like, Oh, I'm interested in your project. Tell me about it. So we got to talk with people who are, I, I got to talk with tons of people who are just in the space and kind of like speculating and are interested in different opportunities. And I also got to meet a bunch of other developers too, which was really cool. So, um, I mean, granted a nightclub with music blasting is not like the best place to have a conversa- conversation, right. but, <laughs> but I learned a lot from some of the other devs that were there. And like, man, I would love to go to um, a developer conference around crypto um, just to chat with people and see what they're doing. I mean, it was was great to meet, you know, all sorts of people, but to have it be dev focused would be real interesting. Um, So I got pretty turned up. Uh, I was pretty hungover after that party. (laughs) It's very professional of me. But um, so I I kind of like stopped partying after that. I was like, okay, this is like, you know, I got to be a little more professional here. But the partying was unbelievable. So it was too good to pass up. So I, I didn't, I didn't go to this event, but a couple of, of other people did, uh, in my, that were, that were part of swoops. And it was, uh, there's an NFT project or community called the Illuminati and <laughs> their event, I, you had to be a token holder, uh, of the Illuminati project, but Ooh. they, yeah. So they like token gate, a, a lot of the projects token gated their events. So like, the board apes, for example, 
they had like a four day long event and like Eminem performed like it was nuts. Apparently he released new music. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's totally crazy. Um, But so this Illuminati event, um, when you went in, they gave you like hoods or cloaks with hoods and, and that kind of thing. And like they, (laughs) they rented an orchestra. There was like a stage and they rented an orchestra and the orchestra was playing the theme to like Requiem for a Dream. Like it was, Whoa. it was nuts. Like I wish I had gotten a chance to go, but yeah, it was, uh, it sounded totally crazy. It sounds like eyes wide shut. Like, it, that's exactly what I thought. I saw a couple of pictures. Better, it's better for your marriage that you didn't go. Yeah, exactly. So that's super cool. Um, and then uh, another event I went to was uh, there's an interesting DAO called Kraus House. They are trying to buy. Oh, I think in their inception they were trying to buy an NBA team, but I believe now they do. They have like fractional ownership of some teams, and they were hosting a live three on three, like semi a semi professional, yeah, basketball three on three tournament. Um, so they were pl- they were playing half court like it was really cool. They had a dunk contest. Uh, it was it was just a lot of fun and lots of art. Like that one had a lot. That one had like art installations of all related to basketball and people on hand like detailing shoes, like doing all sorts of really interesting stuff. The booze is flowing. Um, yeah, it was lit. It was pretty cool. I, I was expecting a different vibe right now in the NFT crowd. <laughs> I was too. I was like, I well, yeah, I wasn't expecting that much happiness. I was expecting things to be a little right. more somber, but no, man, like if we party hard enough, maybe ETH will go up. Um, <laughs> I put in my time. I did my best. Vitalik, I did what I could, baby. Drink yeah. the dip. Yeah. Drink the dip. Drink the dip. Yeah, so I mean, it was awesome. I got to meet a lot of really great people. We, uh, you know, the the on site I thought was really successful. We did a lot of planning. Uh, I got to know and bond with my coworkers, which was great. Um, and we, yeah, we just made some meaningful progress on fleshing out how things should be. Um, Swoops just hired a uh, like a head of marketing or a VP of marketing, who I got to meet and spend some time with, which was so cool. Oh my god! Like to meet with like a dude who's like that high up in a marketing department and has a ton of experience is like, yeah, I was, I, I was trying to sit next to him at all the dinners to try to like understand, Learn. like, tell me, tell me how to be <laughs> successful. What are your secrets? Yeah. But yeah, he's fascinating. No, it was just a great time overall. Um, so I stayed around for a couple extra days. Uh, offsite ended Wednesday and I flew back on Friday. Um, so yeah, just tried my best to soak up the people around me. I tried to get some mat time in. I really did try. Hangovers do get in the way of doing good work. But um, day one, I was uh, sun, uh, Monday morning. So our Airbnb, so our Airbnb was directly above a fitness studio. So at six, and they have a class at six a.m. So I woke up to like, what is that thumping bass? And it was just this fitness studio. So we were up at six and nowhere to go. Things hadn't started yet. So I just, day one, I threw a couple hours of mat time in. And then I tried the other days, but I really didn't get anything other than um, Thursday. I did a little bit of work and Friday. I did some work while I was waiting for my flight at the airport. Well, that's that's not bad considering. Yeah. Yeah. I think overall it was a win, like in terms of, yeah, my momentum for the past week. 
um, despite all the booze. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so highly recommend NFT NYC right after NFT NYC was ETH uh, NYC, which would have been real interesting too. It would have been really great to stay and network with more people. Um, But yeah, like, man, the USD is just punishing. Oh my God. It's so hard (laughs) to go down there and, and know like, oh yeah, it's actually costing me so much more and like new york of all places it's expensive so yeah um yeah so that was kind of my last week um and then leading up into this week my i've been working on mat time as well so what about so let's talk about mat time (laughs) like what i how i've been building momentum this is mat time this is mat time welcome to mat time so uh last week uh prior to nft nyc uh, I'd been working with the, uh, doing OCR, playing with Tesseract. I mentioned that in the last right. podcast. So that experiment, uh, I'm pretty happy with where it ended. Um, so I had a really nice demo. I actually posted a, a, like a video of it on Twitter of kind of going through a sample of reading some text and then learning a little bit of how Tesseract or how the language model is parsing the images that it sees and then understanding like how does it recognize what a what is a token like letters can be tokens word can be words lines can be tokens and understanding how tesseract gives you kind of a confidence score to help you understand like oh i'm very confident that i read this or i'm not um because really it's meant for just fonts i played a little bit with handwriting but you need to train it to do hand handwriting analysis but there's no really good public data sets for that there's one really famous one called mnist that is handwritten numbers but um they're only numbers so right um yeah so there's a couple of people i believe who have ported uh who have ported the mnist data set into an image format that that the tesseract trainer can read and interpret because the mnist one is um the way it expresses numbers is is a grid system, but they're not images. Like an image would be too much data. There's so little data inside of what represents this like grid of shaded pixels that they came up with a a different format for it. So then you need to port that over to something that Tesseract can read and people have done it. So you conceivably you could, you could train uh, Tesseract, the the Tesseract engine to recognize handwritten numbers. Um, But I didn't take it that far. I didn't feel like I needed to. Especially because, you know, really in the end, Amazon has an OCR library that's really, really, really good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And they've, like, it does handwriting analysis. So, like, not only does it do very good at reading text, um, but it can also do, like, pretty intelligent parsing of documents. So you can be like, oh, something that's in this field would be, you know, like if you're filling out a form at the dentist's office or something, oh, first name, last name, date of birth. And it'll, it'll give you like key values of like, oh, for the first name field, you get this for the last name field, you get this. And it's like, oh shit, that's actually pretty rich. So, I mean, I guess at the end here, like the technology is very interesting, but you know, it's all about application, of course. So it'd be really interesting to find a cool application of OCR of people who, yeah, of like a niche use case or something like that, where I can wrap OCR in a, uh, in a service and sell it. That'd be really interesting. Um, but yeah, it was just fun to play with the technology, learn a little bit about how it works. Like what, how are these models written? What does it take to build them, to change them? How do you train a model? What does that mean? So that was cool. I, I learned a lot. And yeah, I got to create a little artifact out of it. Like my little demo right. of, of yeah, using like HTML canvas, something I'd never used before. And like understanding how all these things fit together. So yeah, that was kind of my, so yeah, that leading up to NFT NYC, 
uh, I finished up the Tesseract project. And then since then I've been hacking on, um, I, as part of my contracting, I, I wrote a little bot over a weekend that listens to events from the blockchain and turns specific events into just notifications. So like I can ping. So for example, um, I can watch like an NFT smart contract and say, oh, it's emitting an event. I will listen for that event and I'll send a Slack message when somebody mints an NFT, for example. So it's a simple little project, but it's kind of neat. So you can just like add it to your channel and be like, oh, Matt, or like some wallet minted your NFT. Right. So um, the the guy who hired me was like, oh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Maybe you want to install that. Like, let's go. I want to see it. So I was like, okay, yeah, no problem. So I, I kind of set it aside while I was playing on the Tesseract stuff, but uh, I was, I knew when I was going to New York, I wanted something to work on and I knew it was going to be hectic. So I was like, okay, maybe I just want to pick something. And my wife was like, man, you should just ship the, ship the bot, like end to end if it's small enough, like, cause I, I did a search inside of this Slack marketplace and I just searched NFT and nothing comes back. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I wonder if I could just like ship a real simple version of this and put it in the Slack marketplace and yeah. see what happens. I mean, like, I don't know if I, I mean, that's like the classic, like developer doing no marketing. I'll let the marketplace do the work for me, <laughs> right. but, <laughs> but it'd be kind of neat. Like, I wonder if people will install it. Yeah. I mean, it, cause right now you're just, you're just trying to build momentum of exactly building stuff, not time. Yep. So, yeah. So you don't have to worry about, oh, wait, how, how would I monetize this? And yep. <laughs> how will I distribute it? And no, totally. just, if it's built and it's working, yeah, just put it out there. And Yeah. So I've been thinking like, it's small enough that I'll just take it, I'll build it, I'll make it work. And then I'll, maybe I'll try like a product hunt launch or something for it. Something real small. That's just like, Hey, I'm just letting you right. know it's out there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I've been playing around with that, um, getting it working and that's been fun. Uh, I'm just kind of, yeah, wrapping it up so that it's nice and prepackaged. And then, yeah, I'm going to figure out how to publish it on the Slack app store and run with it from there. Okay. I mean, yeah, there's not really much of a, not much of a technical moat, I would say. <laughs> it's pretty simple, but oh, yeah. you know, it, that's not the point. The point is not to make a billion dollars. The point is to ship some stuff. So that's what I'm going to do. Right. So that's kind of been my momentum since I've, while I was in New York and since I've been back, that's been Matt time, just productionizing this thing and then figuring out, okay, how am I going to host it? And what does the onboarding look like? That's kind of the next part. Um, so other than that, I had uh, a, an interesting resurgence of a project idea that I had like a million years ago, but just <laughs> yet again found another need for. So when I, at all of my previous jobs, whenever I whenever we sit down to, to implement something, part of our spec is always design has come up with pages to be like, oh, this is how we want the end product to look. And always part of our design phase is we look at the thing and we say, all right, well, when you click this button, what happens? And like, when you load this page, what endpoint are you calling? So it's mapping out all of the endpoints. What fields are you getting back from those endpoints? All of that. And in every project I've ever worked on, we always forget something. <laughs> so it'll be like, actually, how do I get that number? And then the back ends will be like, how do you get that number? Actually, I <laughs> really thought about that. <laughs> so, um, so I've been doing a lot of project planning for the contract that I'm currently working on. 
and you know we've gotten these really great designs and we're starting from scratch so we have to look at every single view and say like okay so you've got some text there like where does that text come from what's being called and how does it get called and under what circumstances and what like what what um what data are you passing and what does the response payload look like so all of this stuff so we've been uh i when i first left my job one of the ideas in my ideas notebook is a plugin or something for uh figma or envision that kind of acts like a pool of possible requests and endpoints where you can literally connect like okay i see some text is that text linked to a response payload that we get from calling some endpoint so the idea is you can just bring up your like at any given time you bring up a figma page and you say okay well there's a list view and that list view is a collection that is a result of calling this endpoint and like being able to draw a line and say like, okay, what exactly do we need and what endpoints do we need to call and coming up with a list of, you know, basically this, these like assets, the backend assets that you need in order to populate a page. So when I was in New York, I was chatting with another one of the guys on the project and uh, we were in a cab and I was like, you know, I've, I've been thinking more about this particular project, like this idea that I had. And he was like, oh man, that's super useful. Cause like he definitely designs, or I, I can see like a kinship with him of how, how he designs and approaches uh, designing backend endpoints, that kind of thing. And I've just like, okay, you know, we're trying to map all these things out. We want to come in with a plan. And I think like, oh man, just in terms of planning, it'd be so much easier to have a tool that you're literally like inside of Figma where you can just be like, oh, awesome. Okay, let's just create like an empty schema and draw some lines against it and have it all there to have a clear understanding of what's required from the, um, what's required from the back end in order to produce this view. So yeah, I I was curious, like I, I, it's interesting because this particular idea is like something I've noticed in the past. I don't know if it's a hair on fire problem or not. I think as long as the tool is useful, then it's one of those things that like you just, you know, you take a look at uh, fit the Figma marketplace, for example, or something like that. It's like, oh, maybe the, maybe I can make this work. Maybe there's something I could actually make work about this. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because it's not like I, I, I've been trying to think like, how could I validate something like this? Or how could I go about figuring out like, is there demand for something like this? So I, I, I actually, I have to uh confess i have never used figma <laughs> fair enough like like i've i've seen it mm-hmm. i have no idea what it does but like I, like would is this like some kind of plugin in figma that would allow you to add this to add yeah. these assets or add <clears throat> this information to the to the design yeah so <clears throat> if i could wave a magic wand what i think would be cool would be if you could like I don't know, command M and then all of a sudden your Figma or or like the, the page that you see becomes like transparent and underneath it, you have a list of, or not a list, but you can see an endpoint or collection of endpoints that connect to each like piece of information on the, uh, on the page itself. So yeah, something that works within Figma or yeah, it's something that works within Figma that describes what you're seeing on the page or like the technical requirements of what you see on the page. I have no idea if that's possible or not. I mean, I'm just thinking, what would the perfect solution look like? Right. Because yeah, like most of, at least part of the design processes that I've been a part of for the last long, for the, you know, forever, have always been based in, it all starts with the design. And that design is kind of the, 
that's the golden source of how it should look and how it should work. Yeah. The last time I worked other people, that, that's how I worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except it was Photoshop or yes, ex- Illustrator yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was, here's this pixel perfect mock-up of what the screen should look like. And mm-hmm. all right, build it. Yeah. Go to work. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what is this red here? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Do you have an X code for me? <laughs> yeah. Do you have a Pantone color for me? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting idea for a planning tool. And maybe it's one of those things of like talking to a lot of engineering teams to be like, how do you do your, what does the design phase for you look like? Cause yeah, I don't know if it's a hair on fire problem, but I don't know. My, my baseline for a lot of this is like tuple. Like, I don't know that I didn't know that pairing was like a hair on fire problem for people. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe this level of planning is a hair on fire problem. And you have all these front ends who are like, I'm sick and tired of the back ends fucking up and not, not giving us complete information or changing their minds. We used to do that a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, uh, just before the podcast, I took a quick Google to see if there was a Figma plugin store or how any of it works. And I can see a lot of things like data related things like, oh, you want to generate some stuff you want to generate some data or pull it in from like google sheets or i don't know data from spotify like that kind of thing so i'll be kind of interested to see what what is possible what's possible to do in figma and maybe part of it is maybe you have to do it you integrate with figma but like you do it on your own like i don't know i have a site and you have sso with figma or something (laughs) i don't know and you pull some data in it's it's tricky because figma is all um think it's using the canvas the html canvas so i mean there's data there that's backing it up um but it's not like i can just go in and you know right click inspect it's just one giant canvas element yeah 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 Yeah. so yeah so that's kind of where i'm at right now like i think the the payload designers is interesting but it um i'd have to spend some time thinking about what like an mvp could look like for that and talking with a lot more people to try to understand like is this actually a problem is this a problem you care enough about to actually invest in a tool right it would be really useful to be able to piggyback off of figma's distribution like if they do have a decent marketplace and i can pull people from there that would be very useful uh, but yeah how about like on on this contract like would would they use something like this yeah, if I had been, I, I feel pretty confident in saying, actually, it would have, you know, from the outset, like, oh, this would make us go a lot faster Then I think, uh, I think it would have been a no-brainer. Okay. And who, who would have paid for it? It would have been the company itself because it would have, yeah, I, I would say, you know, again, with the magic wand, it would be a plug-in for Figma. So whoever's currently playing, paying for Figma, and I believe that would be the company. Okay. And who would have proposed it like whose hair is on fire here is that the designer or the back-end developers no it would have been the it would have been the front-end developers i think well yeah front-end back-end because it's like all right well i'm a front-end developer and i can build this thing but i'm working but like i don't know what api endpoints i have to call i don't know what that data is going to look like i don't know what it's expecting like what is the contract that's being built okay so the front-end maybe the front-end developers would have been the first ones to express this need Mm mm-hmm to the boss. Yep. I need mocks. Yeah, I need I need this I need this plugin. Yep. Yeah, I guess I mean I I guess I would try to find another I mean un, un, unless you think this this employer would need it for for the next features that they're adding to the product. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean the 
it, this is not, this kind of problem is not a one and done. It really is a, you know, it's always an ongoing effort to say, I have to source, I have to source this stuff. Where is it coming from? I need these fields or I need to understand the data that's backing all of this. Because I'm, I'm guessing like many places just have processes in place, right? To do this. Maybe it's, uh, it's the architect that writes the specs. Yeah, usually, I mean, in my experience, it's always been whoever's owning the project is like, you get your designs and then it's like, all right, well, we need to create tickets for all of this stuff. And part of these tickets is figuring out what the contracts need to be. And it always involves sitting down and looking at the UI and trying to figure out what fields are dynamic and where did, where are they pulled from. The whole process seems broken. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fucking hard, man. <laughs> right? Like... Like if you're designing an app in Figma, like like you're you should already know what happens when you click this button. What what happens? You know, like what gets refreshed in the page? And it seems like they should just do it in the in Figma. Like here, I click this. The, the status changes here, and and for now, I'll just mock mock the the data. Like I'll just mock yeah. it. But that's the problem. Like I guess. From a design point of view, like the designer is trying to figure out what do the what do these interactions and how do they work look like. Um, they're not thinking necessarily about oh, but is there an entity that represents a a game and like what status is that game in? Like they're like okay, well you know I conceptually understand the idea of a game and I can see that there might be these phases of a game, but like what if it's asynchronous? What if there's like, what's the failure state? Like they're kind of thinking that through or they're trying to think about that, but really the backends, I don't want to sound like the king, but you know, like the backends <laughs> think, but like, you know, the backends are kind of throwing at them like, Oh, what is the air? What is the error case? Or, Oh, we have a specific edge case when this happens. Like, can you design something for that? So it really is this kind of back and forth of the designers are doing their best based on how they understand the product. And there's going to be edge cases and, and issues. You know, it's always a process. Yeah, I mean, it's been so long since I've worked in a team. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I remember these problems, but it feels like, yeah, we were, we were like, the companies I've worked for were mostly using waterfall methodologies. Yep. So, mm. like, all the specs would have been written before anybody designed anything. Yeah. So now it seems like if you're going to design first, like, you should. Yeah, you should have a checklist and you should be answering all these questions. Like, yeah. wait, if you click this button, is, does it happen immediately or does it happen asynchronously? Like, mm. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I don't know if it's a chicken egg problem. Like, I, I guess it's just a matter of approach. Do you take a design first approach? Do you take an entity first approach? Because it kind of makes sense to me to take the design first approach, especially if you are, if you're using a tool and you're specialized with it such that like you could burn it down and you don't care. It's like writing unit tests. You're just like, Oh, I don't care. It's so easy for me to change. And I have somebody that's so good at it. Like we can take a design first approach and have a clear idea of how it'll be used. But I could see the other way too. Like, you know, backend takes an idea of, or yeah, front end takes an idea of how it should work and starts to put together entities and relationships and, and expectations, contracts. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm the last person that can really comment on, on no worries. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. I, I guess like, yeah, it's one of those things of, I want to play around with Figma uh, to see what's possible because yeah i mean yeah i it, figuring out how to solve this in a reasonable way is one thing and then understanding like oh you know do people actually give a shit right but yeah but yeah i mean if if the goal is just to have and have more map time mm. and you want to play around with figma then then yeah then it's 
go go for it, right? Like just yeah. play around with it and figure out is there ways to hook? Is there ways to? Is there a marketplace? Is there ways to create plugins? Mm. Or could it be a Chrome extension? That- yeah, I I uh, it's funny actually because I was thinking back to uh, uh, on Default Alive. Uh, Chris at one point was talking about how he views product market or not product market fit, but um, platform risk. And whenever I see an HTML canvas, I automatically think like, oh, pl- platform risk to the nth degree. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah, yeah, oh, Jesus exactly. Christ. <laughs> but um, that's when your OCR experiments are going to come in. Andy. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I'm just going to look at the pixels on this canvas. Yeah, that would be the <laughs> ultimate hack. Oh, my God. I just wanted to build a <laughs> I just wanted to write some JSON. <laughs> Why are you loading a language model? What is going on? <laughs> so, yeah. I've got like, yeah, I'm feeling like I've got a couple of things to investigate. I've got lots of ways to spend mat time, which is fun. Yeah. So, so like, um, so the NFT project, what was it launching at this NFT NYC? Um, we were originally, uh, okay. So we've been building part of the marketing for an NFT project is, um, you know, building a community and talking about what your plans are for, uh, for the project. So we've built a community uh, we've been talking a lot about our plans for what this game is going to be. And as part of engaging with the community, a, a very popular popular um, thing to do is to create an allow list. So you do a mint in two phases. Maybe you'll do a private mint where people you want to reward in your community or people who have been very involved that are on this allow list get a first bite at the apple. And then once you're done with your private mint, then you open it up to um, to the rest of the world. Um so we've been building an allow list for a while and we were getting ready to do our initial launch and with the price of ETH and everything else, we're trying to figure out what the right date to do to, to do the mint is. Um, I think okay. we're, re- we're ready to do it. It's just a timing thing. Like you want to have the right amount of um, steam behind you. Um, you want to make sure that like the wind is blowing in your direction. And actually like this is, yeah. I guess I, I probably shouldn't talk about it on the podcast, but we, we have a cool, um, there's a really cool marketing, like kind of engineering as marketing thing that we're doing. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I'm uh, a lot of the offsite was talking about that and it's, it's pretty cool. I think it's going to be a real, um, this is going to drive a lot of traffic. This is going to touch, this is going to touch our, our primary audience and like people who'd be interested in the game. I think it's going to, it's going to drive a lot of traffic. I think people are going to be pretty excited about it. Oh, cool. Okay. So, so yeah, so you're still working on, on this project for, for the next month. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm doing 20 hours a week for them. And, uh, you know, as long as I'm taking out, you know, I'm, I'm taking out time to work on my own stuff, then like, you know, I, I feel like I'm not, you know, I don't have to go all in on, <laughs> I don't have to go all in on an NFT bot that I have no idea <laughs> if the market wants, <laughs> but I can still make, <laughs> as long as I'm, as long as I'm working uh, diligently on it and consistently, I can still make progress and I don't have to take like a huge risk. Okay. So for, so for the month of July, what is, what is Matt time? Sorry. Sorry. What does Matt time look like? Matt time is, um, build finishing the NFT bot, launching it into the Slack app store and, uh, doing, I'd love to do a product hunt launch for it. I think that'd be fun. Okay. Awesome. And, uh, and that's still like, like the first few hours of the day like yep. each day mm-hmm. yeah every morning i come in and i work on this for i get into the office around eight thirty, 
and I work for two or three hours. On oh, wow. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's plenty of time. Yeah, I, I thought pulling out one hour was going to be hard, but then all of a sudden, right. it, yeah, it's just momentum. You build, start, you, yeah, you, exactly. get, you get your nails into something and you're like, oh, hell yeah. Like, let's go. Yeah, yeah. And you get in a state of flow and then you don't want to stop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, this is, this is great. Okay. Yeah. So July, we'll have lots of mad time. Yeah. It certainly seems that way. Trying to make some time for like a little bit of vacation in there as well. Like there's <clears> a, a friend of mine uh, lives in Vancouver and- uh, he has a cottage kind of nearby. So we were going to go take a spin there uh, this weekend. And, okay. but yeah, it's like, uh, uh, I, it, it's keeping that momentum while also getting some rest in. So yeah, I gotta, gotta regulate that. So yeah, that's pretty much it for me. I, yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy week. Hopefully it's back to normal now, <laughs> at least for a while. I need to dry out because <laughs> goddamn, I might still be hung over. <laughs> now you're jet lagged too. Oh God. Yeah, I know. I, I, I show up and I was jet lagged forever and now I finally get over it and then oh, back to the East coast. No. Oh, therefore we are now back to the West coast. <laughs> it's like the beginning of fight club, just like flying right. everywhere. <laughs> Soon you'll have Tyler time. Exactly. Yeah. I hope Tyler is very good at programming. <laughs> so yeah, that's it for me. All right. Well, that's, that sounds great. Cool. Oh yeah. Speaking of, uh, product hunt i uh, i had a an idea for a chrome extension oh, last yeah. week <laughs> well because you know like i haven't been spending so much time on twitter um and then like sometimes I'll, I'll log in like three days later and realize oh like someone i follow like had a product hunt like the other day oh and man I, missed it. I know right, right? i always whenever my friends ask for product hunt help i always upvote always yeah exactly so like and but I mean I, I think what you're, you're supposed to do is try to find them in Product Hunt and follow them. Mm-hmm. But it's like that. I have like two lists of followers to to manage. Then right, yeah. like so I was like I just want to create a Chrome extension. Like, and I was really going like really lazy. Like I'm just gonna create a Chrome extension that the second anybody on my Twitter feed, so people that I follow, mm. like post a Product Hunt link, like. The extension just opens it and goes and votes for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, I, who cares? Like, votes are, are cheap and I'll just I'll just vote for everything. Yeah. Uh, I already follow you. That's enough to earn an upvote. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. If I follow you, it's because I'm interested about what you're building and, mm-hmm. like, why would I not vote for it? Like, like how how valuable is a vote, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just a big game now, Product Hunt. It's like, it's not even about discovering new things. It's all about launching yep so i figured it's almost like it's almost game theory too it's like if if i have a, a plugin that does it uh then and i tell people about it like they know that i'm gonna upvote for all their stuff mm. maybe they'll install the chrome extension also and then they'll up they'll up vote for whatever whenever i launch something they'll vote for it absolutely and eventually it's just a bunch of bots <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah that, that was an idea i had like and and I've you know I've built a Chrome extension before and it was mm-hmm. fun so I was like yeah this this could be easy enough like just I mean I, it just has to check Twitter every day to make sure that I don't miss I don't miss a launch yeah because is it the is it the Chrome extension that checks Twitter or do you have like a server that notifies the extension how does that work yeah what what I was gonna do is 
uh, well, the way I envisioned it is the Chrome extension would have access to the Twitter domain and the product hunt domain. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to be logged into both of them for the extension to work. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'd probably just call like the API, but using your Twitter cookie instead of like trying to use the official uh-huh. API, I would just use the, the, the API that the web interface uses. Got it. So just go check the feed for the day, filter for any, only the ones that have a link. And then, then put a regex on those links. Are they product hunt product links? <laughs> if so, open them, mm-hmm. <laughs> open them with the Chrome extension. Go find that vote button and just click it. Hopefully, it doesn't ask if you're a robot. Right, but uh, I don't think it will because I I sort of decided this is what I'm doing now. Like, <laughs> so whenever I see a product, I just go and vote for it, and okay. then I, but then I come back and comment. You know. Like, oh, great idea. No, I upvoted it. Mm. So, but eventually the extension could just do that too. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my God. Bring on this bot world. Exactly. There's just not, you know, there's not enough time in, in a day. I need, I need bots to do this stuff for me. Mm. Come on. Yeah, we're programmers. This is what we're meant to do. <laughs> so yeah, this was just a hack that I thought would be, would be fun. Like, and a kind of free thing, right? Like, like I don't, I don't see how I would monetize this. Launch but, on product uh, hunt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if sure the... a lot of people make sure a lot of people installed it first before you launch it on product hunt. Yeah, yeah. But running something on somebody else's computer just like scares the shit out of me. <laughs> the idea it's like it's like we're back to desktop software, kind of. I mean, it's a controlled environment, but still. Yeah, but I mean, people install Chrome extensions. Oh right? yeah, for sure. And often some extensions like need access to all URLs and they just blindly just, yeah, sure. I, I trust you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, yeah, I'm more, I'm more paranoid. So what I usually do is I'll, I'll install it in another Chrome. Nice. So I've linked this like sandbox Chrome and mm. then I go look at the source code, make sure it doesn't do anything dodgy. Oh my God. You are amazing. <laughs> But that's only if I don't know anything about it, right? If right. someone recommends a Chrome extension, then yeah, I don't do anything. But if like, like at one point I was looking, I was looking for a Chrome extension that would allow me to see a page in all these different screen widths. So okay. like, you know, to like, like check I, breakpoints, right? Yeah, exactly. So I wanted, I, I just wanted to see like four breakpoints, like all in one screen. Mm-hmm. So I found an extension that did it, but it, it needs access to all URLs, obviously, right? Yeah. And I was like, uh, let me let me double check. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't do anything. Because I know that this is, I mean, this particular issue is is huge for enterprise level companies because they're like, I, I I know some that won't even let you install a password manager because they lock yeah. down Chrome and they're like, no, you can't install any extensions. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. like. That sucks, but I mean, yeah, the security model is just shit. Like it, it's just terrible. Right. Yeah, I tried to build a Chrome extension once, and I got really frustrated. Like I got, yeah, it was weird. Like I had trouble debugging. It would crash the browser constantly. Like I, I the development experience of it, I found really difficult. Yeah, yeah, that that it is. Like it's not. There's a few like hacks you can add to like have have it refresh the code, mm-hmm. but even then, it's not. It's not perfect. Right. Yeah. I, I found and it I pretty found, frustrating in general. Yeah. And I, and at one point I was trying to do an extension where at the time Google was offering a payment service. 
So like if you want people to pay to install the Chrome extension. Oh. Yeah, there'd be a is, button like Is that not a thing? Uh no, I think they discontinued it because oh. it was so buggy. <laughs> and and they had no sandbox. So there was no way of like testing it. Oh wow. Okay. You had to just write the code and push it in production and hope that it works. Mm. So like uh, however, at least the terms and condition they allowed you to use your old payment provider. Okay. But, you know, if you wanted it to be in the store and someone just has to click buy and then it goes through your Google wallet and it's like, it's done. Right. You had to use their API, but it was, there was no sandbox. There was no way of testing it. You just like, yeah, I guess you could have tested it with your credit card. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't use it, but you know, that was a bad experience. Like, wow, it's lacking in tools and it's lacking in debugging tools. Yeah. But, it, but it's pretty cool what you could do, right? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. I remember back in the day, um, I mean, this was before I remember using Chrome. You could write, um, fi- they were Firefox. We called them, I guess, Firefox plugins or something like that. And there was one called Grease Monkey. And Grease Monkey, yes. yeah, man, baby. Grease Monkey That's scripts. Oh, hell yeah, man. You, that yeah. like we, yeah, oh man. We had all sorts of shit in Grease Monkey to like change color of wall text and all kinds of things just yeah. to like make the browsing experience better. And then, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I still use it. In, Is it still around? Chrome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I use it in Chrome. In Chrome, it's it's called something else. It's called okay. Tamper Monkey. Tamper Monkey, nice. Yeah, so you can tamper with websites. Sure. But yeah, almost every single website I use is hacked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because like my use case was um, I use uh, You Need a Budget, YNAB, YNAB.com. Yeah. And uh, I was using a credit card that I couldn't pull transactions from automatically. So I would have to go to the to fucking Capital One site and look at the transactions. But the problem was the transactions were ordered by when they were posting, not by when they were made. So the order right. made absolutely no sense so you'd have to go back really far and then go forward to because you didn't want to miss a transaction to keep your books up to date so i was trying to write a chrome plugin an extension that just gave me a a stateful checkbox next to a transaction so it's like oh yeah like you have made you i have it i could check the box and the extension would just remember that i checked it and then I would say okay. like, oh, I've, em- I've entered it manually and I checked the box to let me know that. So I can always go back and, or even sort by checked. And then at least right. then I could say like, oh, I'm, I know I'm only seeing the new stuff. I, for the life of me, could not make this work. <laughs> I was, I, I was kind of shocked actually at how, um, at, at like how simple I thought this should be, but it turned out like, yeah, I just failed super hard. Okay. Yeah, no, I have, I have, I have so many of these scripts. Like, uh, for example, like I, I buy lots of um, n- like uh, nutritional supplements. Mm-hmm. Right? So like protein and multivitamins and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And one thing, like sometimes I just want the cheapest whey powder. Like, yeah. like I don't, you know, I just want the cheapest stuff. And then I'll look at the ingredients, make sure it's not crap. Mm-hmm. So so I have a script that calculates the weight, the, the price per weight for, for everything. Okay. And then sorts the results. <laughs> so I, I just go to the side, I, you know, I type in the search box, whey powder search, and then I get the cheapest per pound, like nice. whey powder appears first, right? Because they're all different sizes. Yeah. And of course, all these e-commerce platforms, they just let you sort by price. Yep. But that's useless. Like, yep. 
of course it's going to show me this tiny little bag first and say, yeah. well for sure that's not the best price per pound yeah so this adds the price per pound to the to the item and then it it sorts the whole results mm. man this is so interesting like it, it's a shame that i mean we talked about this uh, on a previous episode but like e-commerce like the amazon has tried to create the universal e-commerce experience and it kind of sucks because there's lots of edge cases like this where you're like actually this is the best experience and right. i've seen it before there was one that helped with USB-C dongles because like some of them support charging and some of them don't and how many do you need an sd slot do you need a mini sd slot like how many ports do you want like all sorts of things and it's like creating that correct e-commerce experience for for your use case right yeah, I mean, Amazon just doesn't have the incentives. I yeah. I heard recently that they make most of their money from advertisement on eBay on on Amazon. What they yeah. from people like, advertising their own products? Yeah, exactly. Like oh now, whenever you search, like you have sponsored products that appear yeah. first. Yeah. So I think they make more money from those ads than they do from the markup on the products. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we always knew that Amazon pretty much ran out. Of at a deficit, right? Like yeah. they weren't profitable forever. Mm-hmm. Now at least they have the cloud services and yeah. and they have Prime. So they have things that are bringing in money, but I think actually selling goods is not profitable. But advertisement, <laughs> <laughs> so they have no incentive in fixing their search. Yeah. It's like, no. We're good. <laughs> oh yeah, I would love to write a Chrome extension for Amazon. Pimped up search. Yeah. No, I've been saying that forever for things like AWS. Like everybody talks about how painful the AWS console is and it like yeah. keeps and like people build entire products so that they don't have to use the AWS console or CLI. Like that's why render yeah. exists. That's why like most of these platform railway flyio. I mean, you know. Right. No, exactly. So, like why not? Yeah, at least there's an API. At least yeah. you know, so you can build these things. You know, imagine if this if the store had an API, you could just do your searches yourself, sort them how you want them. and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's it. If their ad revenue is just too good, then don't fuck with it. Don't poke the bear. Yeah. Don't poke exactly. the bear. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's all I have for this week. Cool. All right. So in that case, uh, show notes are available at startup to something.com. And if you like the show, give it a rate and review. Uh, it really helps people find the show. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.